Welcome, this is Lisa Peterson with CalPAC, the California Pacific Public Health Training Center located in the Center for Public Health Practice at UC Berkeley School of Public Health. CalPAC is funded by a grant from the federal government to increase the capacity and size of the public health workforce in Northern and Central California, Hawaii, and the associated Pacific Islands. Our program focuses on leadership development, cultural competency, and the use of new media to provide public health services. Today, in our podcast series about innovations in health promotion and healthcare access, we'll take you on a journey into the cutting edge work being done by public health and healthcare professionals. And we're very excited to have Courtney Lyles with us from UC San Francisco's Center of Vulnerable Populations at San Francisco General Hospital. And we are actually on location at San Francisco General Hospital. So if you hear any sirens or construction work, that's just because we're here on location. Hello, Courtney. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Very good. Thank you for joining us today. We're really interested in learning about the work you do in this area of improving health access. Before we do that, would you mind sharing a little bit about your background and how you came to be in the position as research specialist? Sure. I attended Stanford University in the late 90s and early 2000s, and I majored in human biology with a health policy focus. So I've been interested in healthcare and healthcare policy for over 10 years now. After college, I took some positions in healthcare policy in DC, which led me to eventually um, get my PhD in health services research at the University of Washington, which I just completed in 2010. So it's been a long passion of mine, healthcare, and I spent a lot of it in school learning about <laughs> learning about a variety of healthcare issues, and I'm excited to um, now put some of that academic knowledge into practice in this research position here at UCSF. And in your research position, what types of work do you do? I primarily support several research projects, and so that includes statistical analyses, manuscript writing, help with grant writing for various projects, things of that nature. So it covers the gamut in terms of research from the idea conception to execution to publication. How are those related to what goes on here at the Center for Vulnerable Populations? All of the faculty here, several of whom I work with, are researching issues that affect um, vulnerable populations in the healthcare system. And here at SF General, that includes low-income patients, patients who don't have healthcare insurance, limited English proficiency patients, immigrants, um, covers the spectrum of that. But the research questions are all geared towards improving healthcare quality and access and outcomes, healthcare outcomes for those groups. And maybe you could share with us a little bit about the current project you're working on. Sure. I'm spending a lot of time on a grant that we have with the California Healthcare Safety Net Institute, which is a sister organization with the California Association of Public Hospitals. And we are working with them to launch an innovations exchange, primarily with their public hospital members, of which San Francisco General is one of the members. And the idea there is that under healthcare reform, public hospitals are going to have to be delivering care under a new payment structure that's really improving the quality of care for all of their patients while reducing the costs. 
And so all these healthcare systems are going really through a transformation in how they deliver healthcare. And the Safety Net Institute is interested in helping them share ideas and best practices and foster collaboration because they're all working on really similar challenges for a similar patient group in the safety net setting. Our small project within that larger initiative is to conduct interviews with leaders in the public hospital field about what they think about innovating in their hospital to meet those goals of improving quality and healthcare outcomes while reducing costs in the next few years. So it's, it's a really interesting and great project that we're just starting in 2012. That sounds very valuable. I could think that some locations might be working innovatively using different methods or practices, but maybe in isolation. And this aspect of collaboration sounds very valuable to be able to share what's going on and to be able to build upon what's working. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's exactly the the crux of it is that, you know, there are great ideas out there, innovative ideas such as switching patients to the patient-centered medical home model where their care is coordinated in all aspects of, of all the physicians that they see and they feel like one person is in charge of all of their care. And many hospitals are incorporating this model into their systems currently and it's really great if they could be able to share their learnings whether it's challenges in the workflow for their um, provider workforce or whether it's you know a variety of other issues they can share their learnings and improvements so that everyone's programs will produce the, the outcomes that we're interested in. And thinking about what this means right now to be able to bring about this kind of change that can really make a difference and build on what's already working but fix those things that need to be improved. Can you speak a little bit to your own background in doing research and really caring about health policy and maybe projecting to the outcomes of the project and being able to implement these as new policies within the system? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that the research world generates a lot of really great innovative ideas for care and I think that there's a challenge once we have these new ideas that are tested in a research setting to then implement them into care practices and I think that this project is a good example of trying to take research and trying to apply it apply those best practices to different systems of care and really helping people work through some of the challenges that might happen once you have a different type of patient population or a different payment structure or systematic um, way of doing things that that we can implement quality improvement for all patients and all across all systems and I think this can produce some real practical lessons for that translational piece of research into practice. Maybe can you just speak a little bit in terms of the project timeline? You said that this is for beginning this year and you're going to start with a needs assessment. Can you share a little bit more about the timeline on that? Sure, yes. Project is launching this year and the first phase of the project is the needs assessment, which is going to include two sets of qualitative interviews one with the key leaders at public hospitals themselves within the state of California, some of whom are already innovating in, in, in many ways and sort of capturing what people are already doing and what they already think about innovation within their healthcare system. And then we're going to be doing a parallel set of interviews with external organizations who we think of as the real leaders in innovation. So. Um, They're more often in the private sector, like the Kaiser Permanentes of the world, but we're going to be interviewing a few of those folks as well to talk to them about 
their lessons from their innovation within their own systems and how that could be applied to a safety net setting. The policies that are in place, the practices, sort of what are the everyday implementation challenges that they've already worked through that might be useful to a similar approach in the safety net. And in thinking about, you know, I hear these things that we in public health hear a lot in terms of the the skills and the knowledge that we need to put into our toolkit in needs assessment, qualitative research, implementation. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can speak a little bit, Courtney, to um, reflect a little bit in, in your own journey if there's been any practical steps you've taken or skills you've developed that have helped you so far and you foresee as being very valuable in being able to achieve positive results with the project. Yeah, there's so many different skills that um, come into play in this project and in my other research projects. Qualitative analysis is one. For this project in particular, which I've taken some courses in in my graduate school work and then I've had a little bit of experience doing a small pilot qualitative analysis on a project in Seattle when I was in grad school. So both the academic side of learning about the theory of qualitative analysis and then actually having done it once before, both of those are really valuable in terms of interviewing skills and making sure that the um, depth of information in the interviews is great and useful and produces a lot of really meaningful uh, research data. And then in terms of the implementation side, to be honest, this is my uh, one of my first projects where I'm working on that side, but I feel like just the health policy knowledge that I've gained from my coursework and my other positions has really helped me understand the great transformation that's undergoing in healthcare right now and how safety net hospitals fit within that larger picture of healthcare reform and healthcare policy and what that looks after the passage of the Affordable Care Act and moving forward what healthcare is going to look like in our in our country. Can you share a little bit for our listeners this Affordable Care Act, why that's important? For so many reasons, it's going to affect healthcare insurance for um, the entire U.S. population, and that includes that there's going to be a mandate that each person has healthcare insurance, which we've never had before in our country. That means millions, I think it's approximately 40 million Americans who are currently uninsured will then become uninsured. And not only did that mean that they go into our healthcare system that's already struggling to provide care to the people who have insurance currently, but it also means that they're going to have purchasing power to choose which plans they want to join. For this particular project, it's particularly important because this large group of Americans are, one, going to get insurance, but two, going to get expanded coverage under Medicaid. And so safety net hospitals serve a disproportionate amount of Medicaid patients in our country, and so they're going to be serving an even broader group beginning in 2014. And then, as I mentioned previously, they're going to be paid in a different way. So they're going to be paid based on the quality that they provide and not just on the patients that they serve. And so there's a shift to really paying for care that is a high-quality care and that the government, and which includes the payers for Medicare and Medicaid, are really going to be looking for quality, quality moving forward. And that, that represents a giant shift in the way we think about health care. And maybe, you know, I, I hear a really great connection here between your background and wealth of experience in doing research. And here you have the opportunity to put this piece of implementation and connect the discovery being found in research and bringing it out to communities, and in this case, to the public hospital system. Can you speak a little bit about the value of that, your thoughts on making that connection about being able to 
put the research into practice? At least personally, in my experience, that's one of the main drivers of um, why I chose this profession is that I really wanted to make a difference in the daily practice and people's lives, whether it's patients um, seeing their personal provider and the types of interactions and information they get to improve their health care, or whether it's at a more system level to improve processes that make their care a better experience and, and then can help them with their health outcomes at a later date. So. I think that's the ultimate goal of a lot of research, and I think that this project is a great example of trying to bridge those two, so taking things that we know that work and really implementing them. But it's really just a first step in that, in the sense that just bringing people together and having them exchange ideas and share ideas around innovations, I think will hopefully help improve them, improve the implementation of their healthcare reform. But there's a lot to be done even beyond that in terms of making our systems efficient and effective for all patients. And do you have any ideas on what these potential innovations might be or that you're aware of that are taking place and you're going to learn more about? So if we're just starting to learn about them throughout our interviews in terms of what's going on within public hospitals, but what I have heard is some great programs that have already been put into place. For example, here at San Francisco General, it's, there's an e-referral program which allows primary care providers to send electronic referrals to specialist physicians, and so there's not that huge lag time between when you see your primary care provider and when you need follow-up by a special specialist. It can really reduce the waiting time needed between that first appointment and the specialty care that you need to get um, whatever issue it is that you need to be addressed. And so that takes a lot of coordination on the backside for systems and IT systems to talk to one another and that kind of thing. But just putting that system in place, I've learned, has provided such a wealth of knowledge and the knowledge has actually come from the conversations that have happened between the specialist provider and the primary care provider. So while people were were doing referrals before, this e-referral system has allowed them to communicate in a way that actually can improve the care for their patients and make it more coordinated and proactive and that's been sort of an innovative finding that perhaps the people who implemented that system weren't expecting but has been a really great benefit and has really served the patients above and beyond the actual referral piece. And maybe we can switch a little bit and Mm -hmm. talk about and thinking about this work. What makes it great for you? What what are you most passionate about and why? Yeah. Not to put you on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) I think passionate work is so important and I think I've been passionate about healthcare disparities for a long time and providing equitable care to all patients across all systems. And so I think the work here at the Center for Vulnerable Populations really fits my personal passion. And so finding a position that matches my both my research interests and my passion has been really, really great for me and has been really great to marry those two as well as to work with others who has share a similar mission and purpose and the types of research that they're looking to put out. So I think that that's where my passion comes from and I think that all of these projects that I mentioned within the center really touch on various aspects of that. Well, I heard a little negative gold in there that being able to connect your passion with your work and find a happy marriage. Any insight into how that happened? How it happened for me is just knowing people in my field who shared a similar interest and a similar research passion and knowing their work, um, reading what they had published, 
getting to know them through other colleagues or being introduced to them, the, the networking piece and then the knowledge piece about what they're working on and what kinds of issues they're getting funded to do projects on was really the way that I ended up coming here to UCSF and I think that that's a really key part of understanding what your passion is and then really being proactive and seeking out people who match that and then once those pieces come together then you're usually at an organization that all those things are aligned um, for your work. That's great because I was going to ask you about if you were imagining yourself in conversation with you know perhaps a professional who's really just beginning their journey and they're thinking about things that they'd like to do or they're passionate about doing in public health or in healthcare, health policy, any other words of wisdom you'd offer them? I would just say really think hard about your passion and, and really listen to that because I think with any job, getting up every day and, and overcoming obstacles and challenges, they're just so much harder if you don't have the passion behind it. And so I've gotten advice like that from my mentors, and I would like to share that with anybody else, that I think that if you follow that, then the job piece hopefully will follow, because if you follow what you're interested in and you research and you pursue the research that you're interested in, I think you'll be the happiest in terms of both the outcome and when you have to spend the extra time to write that paper, to sit Mm -hmm. down and write a grant, it won't be as hard if it's on a topic that you care about. Well, caring and being happy, that's a good thing. Yes. (laughs) And in thinking about leadership, what does that mean to you? That's a a great question. I think leadership to me means having the understanding of the problem and the challenges that an an organization or an institution faces and being having the passion and the willpower to push through to address those problems and to have a a vision of where to go to be able to address those problems is, is true leadership. I think that Sometimes you can get bogged down in some real details or some small problems, but a leader is someone who can see a year ahead or two years ahead and rally others around them towards that shared vision. And can you think of times in your prior position or your position now where you've had the opportunity to take on leadership and perhaps it's a perspective or it's a skill or something that really helped you to embody that and do it well? I think that I'm just now in the phase of my career where I'm starting to take on some leadership skills, and I would say a lot of things that you that are like I mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation that are involved in school are helpful for that. So if you're taking leadership on a research project, all of the skills that I learned about statistical analyses and how to design a study and how to execute a study. It's really applying those principles in everyday practice. So going back to that and remembering all of those steps and then being the one driving that uh, project management process um, from the beginning of the research, from the question inception all the way through the, the last stages. And, and, and so those skills that I've um, been exposed to and I've seen other people, and I, that's another thing about leadership is I've also witnessed p- other people around me doing that process before. So being on a team where someone else was in charge of that research process from the beginning to the end has really been helpful. And when now when there are situations when I'm in charge of the research question, I can think back about um, how they approached it, how they designed the data analysis plan, or how they thought through the entire spectrum of the research question, and then developed small steps throughout that to meet our goals. 
That's great, Courtney. And I was just thinking about some of the things you were bringing up. You know, we may also, many of us may also be in a time of transition or we are in a position and we want to add on to what we're already doing or we're going to try something different. Anything you'd recommend in terms of moving yourself forward, whether that's doing informational interviews, an internship or a mentor, any thoughts on that? I think those are all great, (laughs) all great things. I think this goes back to the passion piece. I think that in order to understand what your true passion is and to understand what kinds of jobs are out there that match that passion, I think you really do have to spend some real time not only thinking about that yourself, but really going out and talking to other people. And if you see somebody who's in a position that sounds like the ideal position for you figuring out a way to maybe sit down with them and even over coffee or even if it's a short amount of time and asking them how they got there and what steps they took to get there is a really important step so I think that there are a lot of informal things like that that you can be very proactive at in in identifying those people whether it's at conferences if they're not at your institution or emails or through other channels and then being more formal I guess you could say by doing some sort of sessions about making sure that your CV and all the types of things are in place so that if that position that you're interested in comes available, having the tools in place and ready to go so that you're able to um, apply for them when they come available. That's great. And, you know, I'm going to back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And thinking about the, the innovations exchange that you're going to be working on collaboratively with the Safety Net Institute, can't help but think, you mentioned before your passion for providing equitable care, addressing health disparities. Can you speak a little bit about cultural competency and how potentially the um, work that you're doing on this project is related to that and improving delivery of care for diverse communities that are served by the public hospital system? Definitely. In my experience, I I think that the safety net hospitals and clinics are really leaders in cultural competency um, because of their patient population and because of the variety of cultures and languages and races and ethnicities that they serve. And I think that they themselves are innovators in that field. And while I said earlier that private sector can teach some things about innovation to the safety net, so safety net hospitals can give lessons to the private sector including things like interpretation services. And I know that several public hospitals in California are already using video medical interpretation, which allows patients to use a provider of any language remotely who speaks that language and added, be added to the um, medical consultation through a video conference format. So not just over the phone, but more like being in person in the room. I think that that's a, and speaking of innovations and cultural competency, I think that that's a, a fabulous program and I think all healthcare systems could have access to interpretation in the same way and to really provide better care. I mean communication is such a basic part of care and if cultural competency doesn't include um, communication in in your language then you're failing your patients in a lot of ways and I think that that's um, one example in which these hospitals are already innovators in cultural competency across the board. I was going to say also I had visited the website which will provide a link to with information about this particular podcast, but I saw some wonderful videos about telling patients' stories in their own words. Maybe you could speak a little bit to how that's an innovative way to address some of these things that we've been talking about and improving the delivery of care and 
I can't say that those videos were related to this, but related to um, patients speaking in their own voice, patient experience is another huge area for innovation at hospitals. And that's the idea that how patients view their care and how engaged patients are in the system really affects their health outcomes. So a lot of these systems are going through transformation on the patient side to make, to go through um, to walk into the system and imagine themselves in the steps of a patient and then to go through all steps of that, that patient's care and to see what, what it would feel like to be a patient and then to try to transform care to ch- make changes and things that would cause barriers at any step along the way. And I think that, that although that sounds like not that innovative, it is in the, in the sense that our medical system probably hasn't really been designed in that way in many, in many cases before that. It's usually designed along the, the provider side or the medical side in order to deliver care and shifting that and thinking about it from the patient perspective and what the patient thinks at every step along the way can really be in a powerful way to not only engage them in their care but also to improve them in terms of having them follow up and come back and be can repeat users and to improve their health outcomes over time. Absolutely. Sounds like a a sea change almost. A a lot of systemic changes going on. Yes. Truly transformational, I think, at this time in our healthcare, uh, history of healthcare, for sure. And in thinking about bringing that transformation about, maybe you could speak a little bit to the power of collaboration and partnerships that this innovations exchange is building on. Definitely. As I mentioned, there many people are facing the same challenges in terms of that triple aim of improving health, improving quality, and reducing costs. And so collaboration is really a way to tackle those problems together and to not reinvent the wheel every time individuals or systems want to tackle a problem. And beyond that, I think that the federal government, in terms of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, who fund a lot of care in our country, are looking for collaboration. They understand that patients go to a variety of healthcare systems when they seek care, and that they're not just in one hospital or one clinic, and that really those places need to work together to as, and to coordinate care for patients. And so they're looking for systems to partner together and to improve the coordination across across centers. So I think that's the direction of healthcare, and I think that this project is trying to have people work together on issues that they're already tackling in their own work every day. Well, we talked about your passion. Maybe this is maybe similar, but having said all these things, uh, you know, talking about transformation and really moving things forward and the pivotal time in which this has taken place, what gives you hope or inspires you? It could be something you're already doing, something you see others doing. I think working in healthcare is an inspirational. It is an inspirational time to work in healthcare. Um, not only because of all the transformations that are happening, that are going to improve quality of care, which is in- inspiring of itself, but also researching practices and policies that can really make a difference in the healing process for patients and really make a difference in um, their quality of life and, and their everyday interactions with their family and their friends and their job and making them productive and happy members of society. And so, I think all of those and having that as the ultimate goal of your work is really inspiring. I was going to ask you, Courtney, if in your experience or maybe in in looking ahead, how important do you think it is to know about and learn about using new media and social media to do some of this work or to build relationships around this work, attract people to what's going on? 
I think social media is the way of the future, and I think that healthcare is already embracing new technologies to ha- for how to engage patients in terms of mobile applications on phones and online discussion groups for people with a certain illness. And so I think on the healthcare community, there's already a lot of interest in this topic. So I only see that growing. And I think that my research and my interests involve making sure that all types of patient populations are engaged in using social media or online groups to improve the quality of their care so that as we move forward and these our healthcare systems move to include electronic medical records and those cool apps on phones and things that really we're trying to reach out to all patients and engage all of them in their care. And when you mention a goal of having all patients doing that and using social media, what exactly would that look like? I think that it's a flexible and moving target for what that looks like, but I've worked on some projects previously that we haven't gone to depth here, but for patients with diabetes, using a mobile phone to wirelessly upload their blood glucose values so that their provider gets a more constant read on what their levels of control look like over the course of a week or the course of a month, and then can provide more tailored feedback for them in their self-management. So it's the idea that social media and technology can provide a more continuous experience for patients and providers so that it's not just an office visit every three months but that um, there can be some feedback and engagement throughout those three months that will really improve the health um, self-management health behaviors all the things that really make a difference in the health outcomes thank you well thanks for a great conversation is there anything else you'd like to share No, I don't think so. I just really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you all and talk about my work. Well, it's been a pleasure. And if our listeners want to learn more about the Innovations Exchange Project or the Safety Net Institute or the, you know, wonderful work that you're doing here at the Center for Vulnerable Populations, where should they go? They can go to the safetynetinstitute.org website to learn more about the Safety Net's work or the Center for Vulnerable Populations website here at UCSF to learn about all of the various research projects that are going on. Great. Okay. Thanks so much, Courtney. Thanks. Thanks.